0: The signs of those times. The Christmas season is upon us once again, and I truly love preaching the sermons, the messages that are related to this time of the year. I think Neil mentioned a while back that I, I get tired of the Christmas songs. I do. I get tired of Christmas songs, but I definitely do not get tired of The scripture that details, that talks about the the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ the first time, because that assures us that if he came the first time, he's going to come the second time, because God's word makes sure that we understand, we understand that. If you've been going to St. Louis Bible Fellowship for any length of time, you've heard this message before. Matter of fact, it's one of the most requested. Pastor, are you going to preach on the flock tower? Are you going to preach on the flock tower again? And uh, yeah, Janet, I'm going to preach on the flock tower again. Um, it's an amazing truth of the accuracy of the Word of God that we can trust God's Word. And let me tell you this, folks there will never ever, ever be a discovery. There will never, ever be a situation that the world can point to to say, see there, this book, the Bible, is in error. It is wrong. That will never happen. God's Word is true from Genesis to Revelation, and you can trust it You can believe it, and the story that we're going to be looking at, the portion of the Scripture we're going to be looking at this morning uh, quickly, is a a validation of that. It is proof that you can trust God's Word, that it is right after all, and you don't have to apologize for that. You hear all the time, you hear all the time about the signs of the times. Always hearing somebody talk about the signs of the times. And of course they're talking about prophecy that's going to be fulfilled concerning, related to the second coming of Christ. Signs of the times that are pointing to what the scripture talks about as far as the day of the Lord, as far as that tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble. Signs of the times that point Specifically to the second coming of Christ. And folks, I believe strongly that we are close to the coming of the Lord. Not his second coming, because his second coming is after our home going, after the rapture of the church. The, the rapture of the church is imminent. You can pretty much tell that by all the things that you see going on in the world today that point to the second coming of Christ. All prophecies are related to the second coming of Christ. Well, if we're starting to see so many of those prophecies starting to work themselves into the global policy and all the things that are happening, how much closer are we to our homegoing church, the rapture? When the Lord calls us up to meet Him in the air. There's a difference. The rapture, we go to meet the Lord in the air. The end of this present dispensation of grace comes to an end. God calls His church, the body, home. The second coming is when Christ comes all the way back to earth. He establishes His kingdom on earth as promised in the Old Testament. As promised to the nation of Israel that he is Israel's Messiah and all that's going to transpire during that thousand-year reign, that millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are a lot of prophecies that point to his second coming. Well, there are prophecies that pointed to his first coming. There were signs that God gave to show that Christ's birth was close, and what they were to watch for, what they were to listen for, what they were to observe that would give them indication that the Messiah was about to be born. The Bible tells us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that we are not going to be uh, caught not knowing. We're not going to be caught unaware. God's Word is very true. 1 Thessalonians 5 It talks about the fact that 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 day is not going to overtake us as a thief, that we know when that's going to happen. We're going to sense it. We're, We're going to know, based on a study of the Scriptures, when that is going to take place. The Lord's not going to overtake us as a thief in the night. So we see in God's Word... We believe God's word, we understand for God's word from God's word. So we're ready, right? Yes, sir, right? Yes, sir. We're ready? Yes, sir. You're ready, right? Yes, sir. The Lord's coming back. Just as he said he would. And I hope this morning that you're more prepared than what they were when he came the first time. Let's talk about the signs of the Lord's coming. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 7. Now we're not going to talk about the virgin birth this morning, but we are going to talk about it next week, why it was so important, how it happened, why it happened. And I can tell you right now, without the virgin birth of Christ, you would not be saved. Your faith would just simply be in a really nice human being, but not God himself. So we're going to point out next week why the virgin birth is so absolutely important. But it was one of the signs. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Well lo and behold, turn with me to Matthew chapter one. Matthew chapter one. Chap- verse 23. Matthew 1: 123. Let's start with verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, and going to quote Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted, God with us. From Isaiah, we understand it's going to be a sign. In Matthew, here it is. The birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a miraculous sign that was. What a miraculous happening that was. But there was another sign also, and that's the one that I want us to focus on for just a few moments this morning. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Start with verse 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. What's going to be the sign? You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. That's a sign? That you're going to find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger? And suddenly there was with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Here's a sign for you shepherds. And we're going to tell you in just a few moments exactly what type of shepherds they were. And that's important to understanding what's going on here. This is an indication of the amazing accuracy of God's faithfulness, of his word being true, of God making sure that every I is dotted, every T is crossed, every jot, every tittle is, comes to fruition Because here you have an indication of the assurance that you can place your trust in God's Word. So the angels came and told the shepherds that were in this field around Bethlehem, keeping watch over their flock by night, that you're going to find, this is a sign to you, you're going to find, and when angels start talking to you and they light up the sky, That has a way of getting your attention. And not one of the shepherds said, did you see that? Did you hear that? They all saw it. They heard it. And it was an indication to them that the Messiah had been born. And what the angel tells these specific shepherds, How he tells them, how the angels tell them, you are going to find this babe, told them, spoke volumes to them about who that baby in the manger was from Scripture, from Scripture. Traditionally, what you've heard is that Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem. All the world had been called to be recorded. And so Mary was great with child, but they still had to go because it was ordered. And so Mary and Joseph from Nazareth went down to Bethlehem. And Joseph went and knocked knocked on the door to the inn or went into the inn. And because all the world was supposed to be recorded and taxed, everybody was there, had gone to their specific area where they had to be recorded. And there was no room in the inn. And that sweet story is told about there was no room in the inn. And I can't tell you how many sermons I've heard about there was no room in the inn, but can you find room in your heart for the Lord Jesus? But the innkeeper didn't say, oh, by the way, I have a stable back here. And if 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 you want to give birth to the baby there, why, I go okay, go ahead. Do you know that's not scriptural? That, there is no place where it talks about the innkeeper saying, "Oh, but." It was just there was no room in the inn, and the gigantic assumptions that just spring from that, and not just gigantic assumptions, but traditional untruths that people take and run with and preach sermons on. And maybe that is it's sweet, but it's not biblical. And folks, what do we want to be here at St. Louis Bible Fellowship? We want to be biblical. Because being biblical, hey, yep, yeah, that's sweet, but it can't hold a candle to the manger where Christ was born. Why he was born there. It's an amazing story. There's no room in the end, and i got good news for you. It's a good thing there was no room in the end because had there been room in the end, the Scripture would not have been fulfilled. Somebody could have come along and said, hey, wait a minute, back over in Micah 5.2, it talks about, but thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. They could have said, "Well, he was, he was to be born in, in Bethlehem. Well, okay, he was. It says he was. But whereabouts in Bethlehem?" It in a stable behind the inn because there was no room for the inn? What if, what if there is a scripture in, in Micah that tells you exactly where he was going to be born? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Look at Micah 4.8. Micah 4.8. And thou, O tower of the flock, Migdal Eder, the flock tower, but thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion, the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. So not only does the scripture tell us what part of Israel? Bethlehem. But the scripture tells us where around Bethlehem. The flock tower. Not just the flock tower, but a manger in the flock tower. And what in the world were those mangers used for? What were those flock towers used for? Remember this, Micah's writing to Judah... Reminding Judah, don't you go the way your sister Israel went. Israel is about to go into Assyrian captivity. And Micah is writing to them, saying, Don't you go down that path. Don't you go down that path. Don't you do the sin. Don't you follow your sister into that type of gross sin. So he's pouring his heart out and he's trying to encourage them. The Messiah is going to come. Be patient. Not only is he going to be born in Bethlehem, he's he's going to come. He's going to be born in that flock tower. Here's what's interesting. Uh, Alfred Eversheim, in his book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, book 2, chapter 6, you can check it out yourself. I think we have a couple of copies here in the church someplace. He points out that the Mishnah, which is... uh, a, a grouping of oral teachings from the Torah that kind of gives an it's not, not, they're not scripture, they're not inspired, but they kind of give you an idea of what the, uh, the rabbis and, and all the teachers, the scribes, wh- what their mindset was and what they were thinking. And one of the things that they point out, they believed strongly, and what they taught was that the Messiah was going to come and when he comes, he's going to be born in one of these flock towers. Now, that's just what they believe because of Micah 4.8, that he was going to be born in one of the flock towers. These flock towers in the fields around Bethlehem were watched over by a special group of shepherds that were trained, trained by the priest. They were given an extremely important task in these fields right outside of Bethlehem, which was not too far from Jerusalem, which was not too far from the temple. They were given an incredibly important task. And that task was to watch over all of the ewes, all of the sheep that were about to give birth to those lambs that were to be utilized in the temple sacrifice. There were rabbinical orders Concerning cleanliness, concerning method of care, concerning how they were to observe and watch for the sheep, how they were to care for the lambs that were born from those sheep. Because it was absolutely imperative that that lamb be spotless, without blemish, perfect. In order to be a lamb destined for slaughter, sacrifice at the temple. And they took their, ser- their job serious. By the way, I-, I need to remember next year if we sing, what child is this? X, the second verse. There were no cattle mooing. There were no donkeys. There, none of that was there. We were singing and I went, oh, I forgot again. But none of that would have happened. The flock tower was where these shepherds who were trained by the priest to watch and guard those sheep whose babies, whose lambs were destined for temple sacrifice were kept safe and watched over and they could observe those herds from the different watchtowers that were there. When you would give birth, those shepherds would go out and they would, they would examine that lamb and they would make a determination that that lamb was perfect for the sacrifice. And then they would take that lamb into the flock tower for care. You know what they would do? They would wrap that lamb in swaddling cloths and put it in a manger as an indication, here's one for the slaughter. Here's one for the sacrifice. So when the angels appeared to the shepherd, this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths. I heard somebody say, well, that's just a demonstration of a mother's love. Why is a mother's love a sign? It's not a sign. I mean, well, it is. I mean, yeah, I'm sure mothers do wrap their babies because they want to keep them warm. They want to keep, yeah, that's a good thing to do. But that's not a sign that the Messiah had been born. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths. Oh, shepherds, the kind that you wrap the spotless lambs destined for the slaughter in. And by the way, those cloths, were taken from a priest's robes. They could only use those robes for so long. And then they would use them. They would shred them. They would tear them. Use them to wrap these babies to keep them from injuring themselves, to keep them pure, to keep them spotless until it was time for them to be sacrificed. This shall be a sign unto you. Sure enough, when that shepherds heard it, they knew right where to go. They didn't go, where? What? What? This, you shall find the babe in a manger. Let's go to this inn. There were a lot of inns in Bethlehem. They knew exactly where to go. They're the McDoll eater, the flock tower, the tower of a the flock. They knew where to go. And when they walked in and they saw this baby lying in a manger, They knew exactly what that was an indication of. They knew exactly what it meant that Mary had wrapped that baby in swaddling cloths. No wonder when John the Baptist came and Christ came to him, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Isaiah 53 talks about the fact that the Messiah, that the Savior of the world, was to be as a lamb before a shearer's dumb, prepared for the slaughter. All of that is a type of the sacrifice he's going to make, including, and this shall be assigned unto you you shall find the babe, the one who's going to provide the blood atonement, the one who's going to give his life to pay that debt that you owed. What a sign it was. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter. From the city to the exact place, this virgin born, at the exact time, we're going to talk about the exact time next week too, a little bit. I mean, it all just points to the fact that he's it. Here's the Messiah. Here's the Savior. Don't be dumb and miss it. Don't harden your heart and miss it. He is the one that guarantees heaven, makes it available to you through Christ Jesus. All of these signs point to the fact that he is the Savior. Amen? Now, here's the important question. You already know what I'm going to ask, right? Is he your Savior? Is he your Savior? The fact that he's the Savior is not going to get you into heaven if you believe, uh, well, he's a Savior. Do you believe he's the Savior? More importantly that, is he your Savior? Have you, by faith, trusted that Christ Jesus died on Calvary's cross, for you you take that personally do you believe that he was buried for you do you take that personally do you believe that he rose from the dead for you do you believe that he was delivered for your offenses as the spotless perfect lamb of god born wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in the manger that was destined for those sacrificial lambs and he rose again do you believe for you, do you believe this morning, John 3:16, because that's what all this points to. is for God so loved the world, that He gave his only begotten Son. If you don't believe me, just ask those shepherds that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting time, a life. Everlasting life. This virgin-born indication that God so loves you, born at the right place, at the right time, at the fullness of times, fits the fact that this is the greatest story ever told. And just as there were signs related to his first coming, There are a lot of signs related to his second coming. And folks, we're near. We're close. Are you ready? We shake our heads and we think of all those people that were born back then and how they missed it and how they cried, crucify him, crucify him, and how they rejected him. We'll not have this man to reign over us. And they ridicule. We look and think of them and we think, how foolish. How absolute foolish. But let me tell you somebody that's just as foolish. Those today who reject salvation by grace through faith that say, no, nope, no, nope, I'm too busy. I got my own life. I want to live. I, I just i don't have time. No, I don't believe that nonsense. It's not nonsense. And your eternity depends on whether you believe or not. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and how thankful we are for your word that just is such a marvelous indicator to us that you are real and that you really love us and that you really care and you've provided that Savior, you've provided that method of salvation through Christ Jesus. That all who by faith believe are made heirs of God, new creations. Father, we thank you for that, that truth. And Father, this morning we're thankful that you've looked beyond our faults and you've seen our need. And Father, you've met that need in such a remarkable, phenomenal way. Father, we're thankful for the angel's message back at the birth peace, goodwill toward men. But Father, how we thank you for the angel's announcement, he is not here for he is risen. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Father, we thank you for both of those announcements. Father, we're thankful that you enable us to share a story that not even the angels can share. We thank you for the message of your redeeming grace. We thank you for the gospel of the grace of God that you've called upon us to share. May we do it faithfully. And Father, pray that you'll dismiss us this morning. That as we walk out these doors, we'll realize that we're walking into the mission field. And may we be faithful as we do that. Thank you for your calling on our lives. And we pray all these things in Christ holy, most precious name.